Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. I have with me a delightful and wonderful poet that you've probably never heard of, which is why she is here so that you hear about her and can bask in her magnificence. Erin Clark, welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here. Hi. Um, I should warn you that I went full Krista Tippett on your ass. Like I... I've read every poem that you gave to me and I steeped in it and I underlined and I made stars and I have questions. Like I am fully Krista tippeting you at this moment. So prepare yourself. <laughs> um, the first thing I'm curious about. Oh, <laughs> in my notes, it says the vibe is indulgent poetry time. So if you are listening as a person that does not enjoy poetry, you will 0% enjoy this. Just to be very, very clear, this is all about the poetry and there isn't any, like, it's poetry time. So if you don't like poetry, one, you're wrong. And two, feel free to go to a different podcast. <laughs> we set the watches. It is poetry o'clock. Here we it go. It is. It's poetry o'clock. Um, and I didn't even write questions for you. I just wrote, I am curious about, which I never do. So here we go. Uh, I am curious about when you write. Um, not the time of day, but energetically, when do you write? Because we're going to get into your mentioning some depression and asshole brain and shitty things and perfectionism. And those things are not really conducive to writing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So poetry has evolved into a form of self-care. Um, so it is when there are too many things rattling around in my brain and there's too many feelings for me to sort through and I'm just like oh my god what is even happening I'm like okay pencil on paper and then just see what comes out mm -hmm. and a lot of the time it just starts as a list of just whatever words are immediately the top of my head like it's just pure chaos and then as the chaos goes it forms into a poem so mm -hmm. I usually cut the whole first stanza because it's just nonsense but it's the vibe mm -hmm. and then the vibe coalesces into sense <laughs> um so yeah it is definitely um part of how I understand what's going on with me it's mm -hmm. part of how I just check in 
with um, my headspace, my emotional space, how I am functioning in the world with other people. Um, and then also sometimes it's just like, I get really, really psyched about a certain idea. I'm just like, have you seen a seashell? <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to write a whole thing about how fucking great this seashell is. Um, so it's also that. Beautiful. And then sort of a bigger, broader, um, what role has poetry played in your life? And you can answer that however you would like. Oh, man. I love poetry so much. And it's really interesting that um, I used to write it when I was little, little. Like some of the first things I ever wrote when I was like four years old, Mm -hmm. I wrote little poetry books. Like I would fold it into like a piece of paper into like four and I would have like a front cover and I would, yeah, make little poetry books. And then sometime around middle school, I stopped writing poetry. I was all about prose. We were very, very deeply in pure, realistic fiction, gritty reality as much as possible. And it wasn't until around a little bit after I had both my kids. So it was around like 2017, 2018, maybe, that um, poetry started to open back up in my brain a little bit. And it was around that time that I was just having a bad day I was like rummaging around the house I was getting squirrely mode is what we call it where I'm just like I have to do this thing over here and then I have to do this thing over here and like (laughs) that's that's what we call it you know the vibe Mm -hmm. everybody feels squirrely not everybody calls it that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and I am a very analytical person I am a very problem solving oriented person so it's like what is the problem with me and I was like you know and I went up to my husband. I was like, you know, I think I don't make sense. And my husband was just like, you don't have to make sense. Mm. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm 28. No one told me this. <laughs> like, I thought I was supposed to make sense as a human being. He was like, no, it's fine. Mm. The gifts that this man has given me, I swear. Um, and so that was when I started to be able to write things in more of my own way. And so instead of having to take these thoughts that I was having and make them make sense for other people, I could just let them be true and they still communicate with people. Like it still makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really what I love about poetry is that it doesn't make sense and yet fully does because it's really the truth of one heart being totally open and connected with another heart. Mm-hmm. And that transcends any kind of logic that we impose on our communication. Like it's so yeah. much deeper and better than that. Yeah. Yeah. We impose logic tragically sometimes like to our own detriment. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of answers why you put it. So why did you put it down in middle school for prose? Was it, like, I got this wrong. Was it like, oh, this is so much more compelling? Was it poetry's not cool enough? What was the the impetus there for putting it down? It was, uh, like, at the time, I could not have been like, oh, this is the turning point. This is the moment. But, like, historically, we can see very clearly. Um, I had the, the big capital T trauma. Uh, my father had a suicide attempt in mm. when I was in the middle of seventh grade. 
It's like mm-hmm. right the crux, the turning point. Oh, that sounds delicious and fun. Oh, just yeah. nothing better. Yeah, this is the best thing to handle when you're 12 and for, you know, the whole family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have we have healed from it. We are, you know, we are all well now. Um, but for the, my, the rest of my adolescence, really, um, I wanted to stay as close to reality and people that were expressing depression. I guess, like uh, talking about sad, hurtful, anger inducing things in the real world, because that was all of a sudden where I was living. Mm-hmm. And I was, I didn't want to do fantasy because I was like, no, this is what's happening. This is real. And I need to be in that space. Yeah. That segues us perfectly into your poem titled depression with an exclamation point. Yes. Cause <laughs> if it was just depression, it would be sad, right? It's not a sad poem. <laughs> with an exclamation point. Will you read that to us from page three of your yeah. book, Imperfect Blooms? Yes. This poem is very special to my heart because it's the first one that was ever published by somebody other than me for free on my website. This was first published in a literary magazine from college. So this is depression. Often we find stricken minds are the most adept at noticing profound radical beauty in the way that mountain goats hooves find purchase on the tiniest outcroppings of rock, all but invisible to our apish eyes as they spring from foothold to foothold on a sheer cliff face. Gravity is our teacher, cruel and stark, heavy and waiting. Yet that over-analytical, relentless, introspective gaze which threatens to pull us down into freefall can too be lasered on the glory of a snail, the delicate mesh of baby moss sweetly cloaking a stone, and the softness of slippers. So our doubting brains, clutching at purpose, gather harvests of boundless joy for the long, barren winters. And those of us who survive find 10 million things to live for and 10 million more. Let me sing you my song of socks. It was hard one. Mm. Anything else to say about that one? I don't know that I do. <laughs> I hope that it's fairly self-explanatory. It's a little bit of that, you know, seeing eternity in the hour, in an hour and all the world in a flower kind of thing. But that is always the first foothold out of depression. So I have been in and out and more and less, uh, you know, dealing with bouts of um, major depression since 2002. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and uh so we're a little past 20 years now um and that first step that starts to unravel that cycle is always just focusing on the tiniest most beautiful thing I can find mm-hmm. and when I really pay attention to just one small thing I can see the world in it and that becomes so healing and you can really pile those up into this horde of like look at all these beautiful things have you seen this pebble it's gorgeous 
Mm-hmm. If you can love a pebble, you can love everything. And that awakens the heart again. It awakens interest and joy and connection with the world. It sounds to me like you're describing the nutrient that is awe. Yes. And how, and how, if you can stay attached to awe, depression has less of a grip on your reality from day to day. Exactly. Yes. Because I mean, depression will always tell you that nothing matters. That's nothing's interesting. It's all terrible. It's all stupid. Fuck this. Yeah. That's it's that's it's one thing. It's just like oh, nothing's good. Be like oh, (laughs) but this. This blanket's really good, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, yeah, you can undo the argument there just with, yeah, amassing as much teeny tiny gorgeous evidence as possible. I love it. And the other thing that you do really, really well is um, returning us to rest via your poems. So I'll give you a choice here if you want to read Do Nothing or Be Loved. That's never mm. feels like that's the one for right now i think i'll do be loved you may or may not be able to hear a very bored seven-year-old outside the store (laughs) (laughs) i can't but i love it (laughs) the summer gloom okay be loved When the body feels heavy and the heart drags like soggy clothes, stares elongate into infinity and hauling your limbs is just too much. Consider the inertia could be an invitation to come closer, to enjoy gravity's hug as earth holds you dearly for safekeeping. It's a chance to hug her back, to surrender, to be held entirely. The peace of the gigantic reminding you you are small and beloved. Honor the heavenly bodies. Lie down. Mm. That one makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The question there is, how did you learn that lesson? By being so fucking tired, I couldn't learn (laughs) That was a setup. I assume that was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I I had two under two at a certain point as a mother. And uh, you know, we always just have a lot going on um in in life. And I do I like science and I like finding the magic in science. And so I love this idea that gravity is technically a pulling sensation. It's because you have mass that the largeness of the earth just holds on to you. It's just like, oh, that's a snuggle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting snuggled right now all the time just for existing Mm. because I'm little. Mm-hmm. And the earth will hold me here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, every single poem in this particular collection, not all of my poems are like this, but this collection in Perfect Blooms, these are all the 
reminders and little sort of love notes that I write for myself for future times when I need them. Mm-hmm. And so I gathered them to share them because I thought other people might also need the same reminders because we all have fairly similar problems. We're all tired. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really um, where where this particular set came from. I wanted them to be the same kind of nourishment that these are for me when I need them. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love poetry as a form of nourishment. Um, and that brings us to your asshole brain, which, which is featured prominently in I am with you. Are you with me? Will you read that? Mm, I forgot about that one. <laughs> 23. There. Yeah. I am with you. Are you with me? The longest relationship you have is with yourself, which in many cases means you've been shacked up with an abuser ever since the first moment an adult made you feel small and perfect and selfish, which empirically you probably were. The logical fallacies of your unfinished frontal lobe owe you better. I am a survivor too. Let's hold hands on the count of three. And if you say we can't, there are spirits and legacies who have shaped this now of ours, such as the soul of the tree in this paper, a being made by a coincidence of dirt and sun and water, lassoed by mitochondria and cellulose to make it a living, breathing tower until it fell and was pulped into something new bringing fragments of the forest to your hands. The person who sketched their dreams of machines capable of making books, those who wrought the steel to build them, and the foods they ate on their lunch break as they sat and rested their tired backs, savoring food harvested and carried, bought and sold and cooked and packed with varying degrees of care by unknown numbers of people. And long before all that, Generations of creatures with appendages growing more and more hand-like and feet more foot-like and globular heads with more and more space for dreams until these beings were called human and more of them had more of them until one day you arrived in this place, in this time, surrounded by these things imprinted by the histories of trillions of living energies. So yes, I am with you. By virtue of these words, these priceless codes handed down by generations of parents and public, patient public school teachers, ensuring we could always have a way into each other's worlds outside of linear time. Yes, I am with you now. Hold hands with me. One, two, three. That one is where it's so, it's so tiny and specific. And then it just like stretches out to include the whole universe. And like, I understand that you're a human, but I'm also slightly convinced that you are a tree. 
who just happens to be able to write poetry. <laughs> it's a possibility. I do seem to speak tree language like we hang, so. um is there anything oh i want to go back to the part that opening about how like you've been um you've had an abuser in your mind since the first time that an adult looked at you yes yeah yeah so the the poem that like started this collection was, you know, the title poem, Imperfect Blooms. And I have a major perfectionism problem. Like that is my thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't until you know, I've, I've worked on it. I've worked on releasing it through any number of ways. There's ther- therapy, there's meditation, there's play there's all kinds of ways to kind of work through that and it still is just forever a little bit the burden on my back um and it wasn't until like this spring that I realized that perfectionism is a coping skill it became it came into me from some moment very long ago when there was vulnerability and hurt and it was so much that my brain was like okay this hurts too much we're probably gonna die so what if we just be perfect all the time forever Mm -hmm. and we will be beyond reproach Mm -hmm. no one can criticize you ever Mm -hmm. if you are perfect all the time Mm -hmm. this is five-year-old logic right it's perfect it makes Mm -hmm. total sense when you're five (laughs) and so there are a lot of nasty side effects to that but it is at its core problem solving around a wound Mm. and so it's so much easier for me now to look at that and have compassion for that pattern because I can look back now and see like there's my inner child and she's holding this like tattered nasty disgusting security blanket really really tight and it's like you can put you can put perfectionism down it's okay it's like nope blanket is safe blanket keeps me warm we're Mm -hmm. keeping this forever Mm -hmm. i need this we have to have it or we'll die like we're gonna get a new blanket (laughs) called called mindful embodiment it's so much it's so so good you're gonna love it (laughs) and it's way easier to let go of perfectionism as an addiction, as a coping skill from that space, from that recognition of like, oh, this isn't just a bad habit. This is, I was trying to help. I was trying to heal. Mm-hmm. And it just did it in a really shitty way. <laughs> yeah. like, I think I think all of our harmful habits just across the board are just shitty problem solving for shitty times. Like, I mean, I used to volunteer. I did massage therapy for people in addiction recovery programs. Um, And, you know, I've had depression. My husband has depression. My parents have depression. You know, there's a lot of experience that I've had in the mental health field in the last 20 years. And everybody that I've met who has any kind of harmful habit 
it is problem solving just done badly like the unfortunate consequences you know like oh I can't sleep at night I'm gonna drink a bunch of alcohol well you sleep <laughs> you have mission accomplished <laughs> technically like there's some really nasty downsides to that but like there is some part of like very deep in the brain that's just like uh, those guys after a successful NASA mission they're like we did it mission accomplished you slept tonight even though it's because you were on heroin like we did it you guys mm-hmm. cup of coffee mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is helpful just to remember like there is a part of the brain that will see it as success every time I hold myself to a completely impossible standard mm-hmm. because they're like hey no one's yelling at you right now <laughs> you're winning <laughs> we did it <laughs> yeah good job do more of that because mm-hmm. it cannot take into account all the times that I wasn't perfect and still no one yelled at me that doesn't get into the data for that particular part of the brain yeah, we're not gathering evidence for that no, yes. We don't have a chart for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just, it's so much easier, um, at least for me, to heal from all of my harmful habits, because I have had many, and be like, oh, yeah, that was just shitty problem solving for shitty times. We know more now, and we can come up with something at least a little better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I would say that I am not a perfectionist. I just want to be perfect 24 seven. So, I mean, (laughs) I just want to get it right a hundred percent of the time. What is wrong with that? (laughs) Um, Your perfectionism is one of the things that you fantastically counter in the poem on page 16. Ah, yes. This was, this was a much needed love note to myself (laughs) that I, yes, now share with everybody. So poetry's for, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. This is called Permission to Be a Fuck-Up. You are not in the top 10 or the top 10,000. You have no ranking and bumble like a toddler finding a face full of pavement instead of footsteps. And it's fine. You seem not to be wired with the same circuits for success as others committed to their lucrative, stable careers and enriching weekend hobbies. And everyone knows you won't be buying your own plane ticket home for Thanksgiving. And it's fine. There may not be any redeeming creative freedom or madcap whimsical wisdom that makes up for you. I'm sorry that makes up for the differences between you and those who give such an impervious impression of having their shit together. And it's fine. But you cooed with awe over the perfection of a banana slug on a rotting tree stump yesterday. So maybe cut yourself at least as much slack as you do living antennaed snot, dear one. In my book, in Rainbow Pencil, there's an arrow and it says, this made me cry. And the date, 5-16-23. Yeah, because we don't do that. We don't do that for ourselves. We give ourselves permission to be magic or miracles or saviors or 
um, just all of the things that are pure ambition and to be a fuck up is like, I don't, I don't when that's actually what we need a lot of the time. Yeah. That has been one of the best counters I've found for perfectionism is just expanding the definition of perfect to be everything. Like there are some really, really hideously ugly, gross fish in the ocean right now. You know, the scary ones with like teeth and dangly things and they look like mud. And that is a perfect specimen of that fish. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely (laughs) perfect. They are rocking it. Mm -hmm. They are crushing being an ugly, gross fish. (laughs) I can also crush being a human being. Like Mm -hmm. I drank water today. Mm -hmm. I ate food today. So far acing it like honestly (laughs) yeah yeah well and what's crushing it for being a human is not crushing it for for capitalism they're often at odds yes you you took a nap you ate food that wasn't just pure chemicals like you're winning capitalism is losing (laughs) yeah yeah that um when I, I took a biological anthropology class, which I loved, and one of our projects in it was doing just like extended uh, primate observation. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you sit there for like 30 straight minutes watching a primate that you realize they're not doing a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in nature, mm-hmm. all of the other species of the world, they're just hanging out. Mm-hmm. They they sit. Maybe they move over there. That's it. We might do some grooming. Yeah, a little bit. Like, yeah, swing on a thing if you feel like it. Mm-hmm. Not if you don't. Take a nap. They're just living. I was like, oh man, we fucked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We could just be hanging. <laughs> we could just be chilling, swinging from trees, taking naps, eating fruit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what went wrong capitalism capitalism is what went wrong yeah so yeah i do try to integrate a little more of the spirit of uh of the orangutan mother that i that i observed for 30 minutes straight and just be like okay yeah i can sit down because i am a creature on earth and we get to do that yeah and it's not bad or wrong to sit down it's not a moral judgment to sit down yeah it doesn't have to be. I think other people, lots and lots of other people will say that it is. They are incorrect. <laughs> We're allowed to sit. Yeah. They got it wrong. Absolutely, we are. Um, oh, the thing I have written next um, is asking about the role that imagination plays in your day-to-day life. So I'm curious about you're claiming and using imagination, which I view as like one of the most endangered human resources that we have. Yes. Oh, that dream space is so precious. It's so vital. Um, yeah, I did not make up that term, by the way. That's uh, Trisha Hersey from Rester's Resistance. And I think uh, Adrienne Marie Brown also talks about it in her work. But um, I do love the imagination space. Um, I think, I mean, I was always just a very imaginative kid. I got that, you know, part of my brain from my mom. And so that is just, I am a naturally 
creative person. I would have like very, very long imaginary conversations and adventures with various like movie characters when I was a kid. I didn't have just one imaginary friend. I had like a whole cohort. (laughs) (laughs) They had backstories. We had destinations. There were like sequels. Like (laughs) the universes that exist in my head. Um, But uh, honestly, being a mom has really helped me keep that tool Um, because when I had kids for starters I wanted um, to keep my mental health like on a point game you know that was like okay if I'm gonna be a parent I'm gonna deal with my shit because my family did not they didn't have the resources. They did, there weren't things for that for the mm-hmm. most part. There was Zoloft and shame. <laughs> no wonder no one got better. <laughs> and so um, I really, I really wanted to keep uh, keep my mental garden flowery and beautiful, and I wanted to just have as much fun with my kids as possible that was the goal from day one was just like oh man we are gonna play (laughs) and uh so yeah I mean they've you know they have pretty high demands it keeps me on my toes but we can generate adventures together out of nothing and I was mostly a stay-at-home mom and so it was just on me to entertain all of us for years um and so it has just I think because I practice I have been able to um keep and tend and grow my imaginative capabilities I would like to expand them a little bit out of my family um to encompass more of like community and political space because I think that's a really really powerful place to apply imagination Mm -hmm. um but I also am a full-time college student with two elementary school age children and a business and a job Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so maybe in a couple years (laughs) my imagination will grow into that space time I'm glad that you're keeping it that you've kept it and you are keeping it and that that's just part of the part of being Erin I appreciate that um, but I do want to flex your imagination with, um, in a chat book, which is not available. So you're just going to have to hear it here. Um, there's a poem called self-portrait as a bad girl, which is, um, this holds a special place in my heart. Uh, the bad girl protocol that, uh, I learned from, uh, Kasha Urbaniak. If I could just spend the rest of my life doing the bad girl protocol with women, I could die happy. And it's just, you say, if I were a bad girl, and then you fill it in. And here is the the Aaron version. <laughs> yes, I made it into a poem. So this project was um, a friend of mine gathered a bunch of Oregon poets. And he was like, okay, let's write a poem one a day, every day for the same two week span. And then you'll send them all to me and I will compile them into a book. And um, it is impressive how quickly you will run through all of your ideas 
by <laughs> by day three <laughs> when you have to when you have to write a poem every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did tap into some creative spaces that I would not have used otherwise. Um, and this was one of them. I was like, I don't have any ideas. I know bad girl protocol. <laughs> so here we go. Self-portrait as a bad girl. If I were a bad girl, I would leave the crumbs on the floor. If I were a bad girl, I would stomp on the floor loudly at any hour I like. If I were a bad girl, I would fuck on the floor, windows open, music off, spilling moaning into the silence while I'm filled. If I were a bad girl, I would beg on my knees and shame me for days after. If I were a bad girl, I would leave the snot on the pillow from where I screamed into it. If I were a bad girl, I would scream into faces, not pillows. If I were a bad girl, I would build a pillow fort of dreams and live in it, a queen's. With no tax forms, only a sparkling scepter made of moonshine and a gown of whispered silk. If I were a bad girl, I would torch my pillow palace and inhale the smoke, letting it unfurl from my nostrils like a 50s femme fatale. And if I didn't pass out, I'd roll in the ashes like a goth golden retriever. If I were a bad girl, I would explode like buckshot, later tweezed out of gristle and bloodied down, leaving others to clean up the mess. If I were a bad girl, I would stop cleaning up the mess. I gotta say that last line, it's for the last line that I wanted you to read it. It's pretty close to the embodiment of, um, I've seen that exercise done hundreds of times. And it pretty much always comes down to if I were a bad girl, I would stop cleaning up the mess. Yeah. The physical, the mental, the emotional, the societal, the capitalist, the religious, the just, there's just so much mess. Yes. Yeah. That was really, yeah. I went all through all of that to distill it down into that point. I was like, oh, this is the thing because good girls don't leave behind messes for other people we handle it. We clean up other people's messes. And so I was like, oh yeah, leaving problems for other people to solve is like the worst possible thing I could think (laughs) of to do. That is the baddest of bad. It's just like littering Mm -hmm. emotionally or like politically. Emotional littering. Yes. 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 The worst thing that I could think of to do in life. (laughs) The baddest of bad. Yeah. Yeah, but it really, it really does come down to that. And it, um, the conditioning wise, like you've, you've hit upon like exactly the thing that we're, we're trained to clean up the mess always. Yeah. Often literally, because, mm-hmm. you know, kids, but yes, <laughs> it's like, it oh, this is everything. Way. This is all of it. <laughs> it really is. It really, really is. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that one so much. And another, just a, question for you yeah what has poetry taught you that nothing else has I think it teaches me a lot about the hearts of people and how we can connect through art space. And so that's not 
a thing that I've only experienced through poetry, but I think it is one of the most beautiful things that I love about poetry in my life, my own and other people's. Um, because I am a very, very, very introverted person. <laughs> I, uh, I prefer not to interact with human beings in real time. Um, and through writing of any kind, but especially something as vulnerable and weird and delicate as poetry is my chance to just like kind of shout into the void a little bit and just be like, I found this to be true. Is it true for you? And every once in a while, someone calls back and they're like, yes, mm -hmm. I feel this. Like, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I do read poems that I don't get or that I don't like. And it's just like, there are so many souls on the planet and it just amazes me how much we have in common in the deepest part of our hearts. Mm -hmm. And that I think is what poetry teaches me the best is that all of the human souls, there's so many of us, there's eight billion people like it's too many to even physically conceive of <laughs> like I can't it's too many but all of those souls have an art in them that can be felt in a place even without words and sometimes we use words and sometimes we use songs and sometimes we use vis you know visual art and sometimes I guess there are a number of people they use numbers but there is always a poem in it and I think that is what poetry helps me to remember every time that I forget. Mm, it sounds like it's a, it's always a shortcut to soul and whether it's yours or someone else's is dependent on the day. Yes, exactly. Yep. Beautiful. Um, I'm going to, read you a thing because it's fucking indulgent and I would like to and it's basically poetry fangirling I found a card when I was in Ireland and nobody fucking they're like I don't know any I don't know who wrote these words it's just on a card that I purchased but I have it like I can touch it it's on the wall beside me Ooh, okay poetry is when an emotion has found its thought and the thought has found words if you cannot be a poet be the poem Poetry comes from the highest happiness or the deepest sorrow. A poet is, before anything else, a person who is passionately in love with language. Poetry is an echo asking a shadow to dance. The world is full of poetry, the air is living with its spirit, and the waves dance to the music of its melodies and sparkle in its brightness. The poet is a liar who always speaks the truth. A poem begins as a lump in the throat, a sense of wrong, a homesickness, a lovesickness. Poetry is a way of taking life by the throat. Poetry is not a matter of feelings. It is a matter of language, and it is a language that creates feelings. 
Poetry is language at its most distilled and most powerful. Poetry heals the wounds inflicted by reason. Genuine poetry can communicate before it is understood. Poetry at its best is the language your soul would speak if you could teach your soul to speak. That is gorgeous. Right? I wish I knew who wrote it, but like, well done, someone. Yes. <laughs> Hmm. does anything stand out about that as true for you oh man pretty much all of it that was really deeply beautifully resonant I especially liked um that it heals the wounds inflicted by reason Mm -hmm. um because yeah I mean anytime that I am treating myself like shit there's like a catalog of excellent reasons why (laughs) (laughs) you have like a wonder's brief (laughs) yeah um but none of them are really valid none of them actually matter I think that yeah that is one of the biggest gifts of poetry is that it can make no sense but be more important than sense yeah and you don't have to make sense, as Taylor said right at the beginning, right? Yep. You can make sense. <laughs> like him. We'll keep him. <laughs> Such a keeper. Before I wrap you up and have you talk us out with a number of poems, um, let's have Capitalism Corner. <laughs> I want to give you money and buy your book. How do I do that? My book is called Imperfect Blooms by me, Erin Clark, and it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And also, if you want to cut the billionaires out of the deal, um, you can also get the link direct from my website, which is erinclarkwrites.com, E-R-I-N-C-L-A-R-K-E-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there any other way that we can throw money at you and your brilliance? Um, I do have a Venmo that I do accept for like just joy tips. <laughs> if I brought you joy. Um, so my Venmo is actually very straightforward. It's just Aaron dash Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. Great. And is there a way to stay in touch, to hear more from you, to see more of your poems, to otherwise be fucking bathed in your magnificence on a regular basis? <laughs> um, probably for the most regular basis. Uh, I do have an Instagram account that is E.E. Clark-ish. And uh, I do also have an email list that's available on my website. You can opt in there. Fantastic. And we will have um, the Royal We. Um, all of the magical links in your uh, special in the words they have failed me here in the blog <laughs> associated with the podcast episode at kristenkelp.com and then is there anything that you're working on is the other question yes so I've actually already started compiling um, my next chat book and um, it's all about love 
Um, I write a lot of love poems because my partner is the best. And sometimes I'm just like, is this too many love poems? I'm like, no, not enough. Correct. <laughs> Everyone needs glowy. to know. <laughs> so glowy right now. It's so good. Yes. Yeah. So I am right now. It's just a list uh, in columns of poems that I have already written. So there's the partner poems list. There's love for my kids and parenthood. There's love for the world and there's love for me. There's four mm-hmm. columns. So mm-hmm. it might be in four sections. It might be mixed and matched. I have no idea, but there's already like 40 of them. So I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and then for your final poem, would you like to read um, Imperfect Blooms? Rest Easy Feelings Don't Scare Me or Softness Song? Oh, you. Oh, I think softness song. I think, yeah. Softness song. I was born soft. We all were. That velvet newborn head softer than anything. It must be felt to be believed. Just like those bafflingly sticky brand new hands clinging to their grown-up skin like gecko pads on a sunny wall. Staying soft is harder. The trick of unhardening rarely taught and a thing relearned with each fresh hell, but only by those dogged soul explorers who bother to follow the nagging whispers and flickering lights that lead us down counterintuitive zigzag paths in search of that lasting, deep, eternal contentment. Staying soft can feel impossible as the leaden bricks of global doom pile on our shoulders one by one, the weight compressing our beings into crushed, despondent, rageful things, lashing out at whatever is available, be it barista or boyfriend or government or self. But softness is the only way to survive that sweet dropping of the shoulders and the exhaled surrender to the untamable entropy of growth. For with softness, we grow too, expanding with grace wide enough to enfold agony with gentleness, granting us unfathomably painful and delightful superpowers to stand and feel it and love regardless. Be soft, dear warriors. Conquer the density of the times by dissolving your bones into clouds through which the hails of news cycle gunfire pass unscathing. Rally your grateful holding heart to savor this breath, a lighthouse beacon in the tumultuous sharpening dark, to be a soft moment caressed with mutual pleasure and teach others what softness can be. Be soft and free, my brave kind kin. Do not let the burdens hold you. We can be born and born again with each remembrance of how these selves began, a velvet, beloved miracle of chances, a temporary life in the symphony of time, here to add our graceful melodies in the midst of the grand collective wandering. Be soft and free, my brave kind kin. Do not let the burdens hold you. We have a song to sing. Fuck yeah. I mute myself while you're reading because I make like really, really ridiculous like sounds like mm, <laughs> affirmational noises. 
So you've been spared those on the podcast. You're welcome. Um, but I like the leaden bricks of global doom. I was just like, oh, it's so good. Like I can feel the leaden bricks of global doom. And then oh, they're so real. <laughs> and it's the part where we just become clouds so that the news cycles, like the bullet that the news cycle just passes right through us. Like it's so violent and so visceral and also so soft becoming Yeah, that was um, that was a trick taught to me by my aunt when I was recovering from my super major uh, depressive episode. She is like, for all intents and purposes, a Buddhist nun. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she was really the one who taught me about religion and spirituality and mindfulness in general. She really taught me how brains work and that you don't have to believe your thoughts and all of those things um and yeah she taught me that image of if you become the cloud things just pass right through it's so good it's so like it's so not us versus them because it's a cloud cloud is just like a how do you fight that yes you don't have to. That's the beauty of it is you can just be in the world and you're not, you know, com- like, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> you're not battening down against anything, mm. you know, because all too often there's well, so much evil and you can harden against it and come, you know, the, um, just sort of butt up against it or you can embody so much peace that their harm cannot harm you. And from that space, their harm becomes ineffective because you can facilitate so much healing from that place. Um, Yeah. I always Mm -hmm. hope to be bigger Anytime that I get stressed out, we feel so tight and little Mm -hmm. and getting bigger is almost always the answer. And I teach that to my kids too. And one's like, I want this thing so much. I can't, I just have to have it. Um, And it's like, okay, you can be the entire sky. Mm. And that can just be a a thought going through the sky. (laughs) It's okay. Um, yeah, being soft is hard in 2023, and I'm assuming all of the years before, but it feels especially, yeah, especially yeah, potent. It's been hard because it's easier to beat the shit out of someone than to become a cloud and let their heart yes. go through you. <laughs> it is hard, but it's so beautiful when it's done. Yeah, and I think at some level, poetry is feeding the softness. Po- poetry is actively giving nutrients to the best parts of. At least, I mean, I see it in you and just in general in the world. I see poetry being like, this is how we stay attuned to softness. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone didn't like poetry before <laughs> and hadn't <laughs> checked out of this podcast yet, <laughs> maybe we'll convince you to read more poetry. Or at least listen. Like, it's just a good time. It is. Anything you want to say before we go that's like, I wish you would have asked me about this, or I'm dying to talk about that, or Jesus Christ, why didn't you remember to talk about, just tell me what, (laughs) 
No. Um, yeah, I just, it's so cool that I wrote a book. I never thought I would. <laughs> but you did. I did. And it's real and it's in paper and people can buy it. And other people have bought it that aren't my mom, which is amazing to me. Um, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I am so, so, so happy that we got to talk today about poetry just in general it's it's been a delight and again you can find her at erinclarkwrites.com e-r-i-n-c-l-a-r-k-e writes w-r-i-t-e-s.com and there'll be all sorts of links in the podcast episode attached to this thank you for being here thank you for having me Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly, scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format, one gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now and we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.